Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Some of y'all know I can be a little bit of a geek sometimes, and I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't really mind people thinking that about me. It's, for the most part, true. And I guess one of the geeky things I sort of do a little bit is, and a lot of people do this, I'm not the only one that does this, but a lot of folks kind of like to watch, like, documentaries on weird topics. I'm definitely like that. I like to watch these, like, weird documentaries and have for a long time, and over the years, to give you an idea of like, you know, kind of how much of a, I guess, a geek I can be from time to time, one of my favorite documentaries, you know, the one about Enron. Are you familiar with Enron, the energy company out in Texas that kind of got in a lot of trouble? And I think it was called The Smartest Guys in the Room. I think that was the name of the uh, documentary. And the basic gist of this is, and a lot of this is kind of over my head, but to the best I can kind of understand, like Enron got in a lot of trouble because they were essentially falsifying profits, they were using accounting practice to make up profits in fact a phrase that kind of exists now in lexicon that because of this is enron style accounting you've heard politicians and things like that say that before well that's kind of where that came from enron used its accounting procedures to invent profits for a sector of its business and that's obviously not something you're supposed to do but over the course of the time in which enron was doing this as the documentary leads you to believe it's not like they were necessarily trying to keep their actions a secret. In other words, they weren't trying to conceal their activity. What they were trying to do is, is they were trying to, to flood the zone with that act, with information. They were trying to reveal the information that they were doing, not something they weren't supposed to, but they were trying to bury it in like a mountain of data so that no one could actually see the stuff that wasn't really going on. And there was like a great phrase in the documentary that always kind of stuck out to me, that somebody was talking about Enron, and what they basically said was, it's scary to think how close they came to not breaking the law. In other words, they're totally inventing profits. They, you know, they're, they're using these you know, bad accounting procedures, as explained by the documentary. But instead of trying to keep that a secret, they're trying to reveal so much information that no one notices the other thing that they're revealing that they're not supposed to be doing. And I think there's an obvious like correlation to college football here there as well and we kind of understand all this kind of stuff even beyond just what enron's doing it's the same reason why when you have to like sign up for one of these tech platforms or something the 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 terms and conditions like 100 pages long because they don't want you to know all, all the crazy stuff that's going on there they kind of flood the zone with a bunch of information so you can't you know quite be aware of maybe everything that you're agreeing to when you sign up for something along those lines and we're all for the most part pretty aware of that and as i said before football teams have been doing this forever Maybe the best example of this might be Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots, who, and I was looking at this this morning, for three years, he listed Tom Brady on, because the NFL mandates injury reports. One of the things that's different than, than the NFL in college is in college, every report that a coach gives about an injury is always unofficial. But in the NFL, um, the injury report is an officially mandated thing. You've got you to gotta present the injury list. Well, Belichick kind of being a little bit of a, I don't know you call him a troll or just somebody who likes to try to use every potential thing as a, as a psyop advantage, information advantage. So I saw this, I thought this was kind of amazing. For three consecutive years, every single week for three years, Tom Brady was listed on the New England Patriots injury report when Brady was the Patriots quarterback. Yet over the course of that same span, Brady was in the midst of a streak of starting 129 consecutive games for the New England Patriots. 
So here you've got a guy that starts 129 consecutive games, but every week for three years is listed on the injury report in some form, some fashion. I, I saw a quote from him in 2019 where he was like, finally asked by Jim Gray about some sort of toe injury that was supposedly keeping him on the injured list for the Patriots as at least questionable status for uh, that upcoming Sunday's game. He kind of uh, laughed about it, almost act like he didn't even know what it was. And he said, I guess this is the first time they've ever said I had a toe injury, but you know how the Patriots are. They like to reveal everything. And he kind of laughed and, and uh, kind of nodded in that direction when it comes to the fact that, that you know, the Patriots always listed him as injured, and yet he always also played. Three years worth of being on the injury report, 129 consecutive starts. And I can't help but think about that what was once true for Tom Brady playing for the New England Patriots with what has happened as of late when it comes to JT Daniels, the Georgia quarterback, who obviously Daniels would love to one day be as good as Tom Brady's turned out to be at the NFL level and remains to be seen how, how all of that goes. We'll find that out in future years. But there is at least one aspect of Daniels' current college career that I think is actually playing out somewhat similar to what Tom Brady's NFL career played out like for a long time, the New England Patriots. Boy, it seems like Kirby Smart's pretty forthcoming with any possible nick or ding that Daniels might be dealing with. Now, some of these have turned out to be more substantial than others, right? I mean, he did miss the UAB game because of the oblique issue and seemed to shake that off pretty well and was back playing the following week by uh, South Carolina. But I think a lot of Georgia fans were surprised on Wednesday when Smart made an appearance, as all coaches do, at the SEC coaches teleconference. It's one of those deals where like, the reporters dial in on the phone. Every coach appears. They ask a bunch of questions and kind of move on after that. So one of the things that, that Smart got asked about yesterday was, how is JT Daniels and the oblique injury, the one that kept him out of the UAB game? You didn't see him much against Vanderbilt. Seemed fine against South Carolina. Where does all this stand right now? Well, here is Smart possibly taking a little bit of a page uh, out of the Bill Belichick playbook for a moment. Let me read you this quote. Uh, Smart of Daniels, his oblique is fine. He's been having a little bit of a lat issue. It bothered him some last week, and it's bothered him some this week. You can read more of that story at dognation.com. Kirby Smart quoted from the SEC coaches teleconference. So in the last 24 hours or so, I've had a lot of people reach out to ask me, B.A., what's going on with uh, J.T. Daniels and his lat injury? Latissimus dorsi is the uh, muscle region there. What's going on with that J.T. Daniels lat injury? And the honest truth is I, I can't say that I know for sure. I I've told you this before going back to the to the oblique issue that kept him on the UAB game that I take any injury for Daniels pretty seriously because if Daniels were to miss a significant amount of time, then obviously Georgia's chances of winning a national championship would be greatly impeded because of that. But for whatever reason, and listen, I don't have any inside information on that, won't pretend on this particular subject, won't pretend to. But when I read this quote from Smart yesterday, the idea that he's volunteering that Daniels has an injury when he has gone so far out of his way. Think about Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington, all the things that he's done, try to conceal those injuries, acting like they were day-to-day -day when everybody knew they were going to miss four to five weeks. Uh, Smart went out of his way to make that seem like it wasn't true. Smart works very hard, as is his coach's prerogative, I guess. Smart works very hard to conceal legitimate injuries. Why in the world is he revealing that JT Daniels has a lat injury right now? And I couldn't help but think about what Bill Belichick used to do with Tom Brady. 
three years worth of every single week. It's a toe, it's a foot, it's a finger, it's a it's a whatever else. And yet, over the course of that time, Brady was never quite injured enough to the point that he missed a game. Now, Brady's also been one of these guys that's also concealed some injuries, probably did that with Tampa a, a year ago. But a lot of what happened there in New England was acting like Brady was hurt when he really probably wasn't kind of almost like Enron-style uh, information dump of, let me just flood the zone with data, give you so much to think about to the point where now you don't really quite know what is true. And if Smart is trying to copy Bill Belichick on this, and obviously that's a pretty good name to do here and a pretty good idea of someone you kind of pursue on something like that. So the overall point, the overall bottom line is, when it comes to uh, JT Daniels and the supposed lat issue that he's dealing with ahead of what's going to go down against Arkansas on Saturday, if I had to guess, if I had to assume, it's probably not all that serious. It feels like the kind of thing a guy like Bill Belichick has done when it comes to Tom Brady in the past. And if I'm making my prediction on Saturday, I think we still see a JT Daniels playing pretty healthy, playing pretty well, and throwing the ball all over the uh, yard uh, for the dog. So that is that. Let me shift gears here and now talk about something completely different for a moment. Obviously, Georgia got a commitment yesterday. Very impressive defensive back for the class of 2023. Kyan Lee, uh, out of the incredibly deep Cedar Grove program there in Atlanta. We'll show you the uh, good-looking Dog Nation Instagram uh, post that we put up yesterday to celebrate uh, Lee's commitment to the dogs. You're talking about a guy, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, number 14 cornerback in the country of the class of 2023 and the number 121 prospect nationally. This is a pretty big deal with all of that. And I, I talked about this the other day, that when you think about recruits from the upcoming recruiting cycle, not the current recruiting cycle, but the upcoming recruiting cycle, it's always amazing that for fans, there's just a little bit less interest in that next recruiting cycle compared to the one that you're currently in. It's just kind of just, it's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just kind of true. But I was thinking about this with uh, Georgia picking up Lee. I uh, got Bo Hughley the other day, a very good looking offensive lineman. These are bedrock commitments, right? And you know, these are not like maybe the kind of thing that's on top of mind for Georgia fans in the midst of getting ready for a top 10 showdown with Arkansas and game day coming in, all the kind of stuff there. It's easy to kind of put the lead decision on the back burner, but you better believe six months from now, this is the kind of thing that Georgia fans are going to be very happy they got when it comes to Hughley the other day, Lee right now. And furthermore, here was the kind of, I guess, the point I was thinking about. Any program can have a hot streak when it comes to the current recruiting cycle, right? We saw Tennessee do that two springs ago and everybody's like oh look what Jeremy Pruitt's building at Tennessee the truth is it's fairly easy to manipulate the news cycle when it comes to the current recruiting class but look for a moment at who's always doing the best recruiting for two cycles ahead look at these programs like Georgia currently stands as the number two team for the 2023 class and you know uh above them right now is just Oklahoma You've got uh, Notre Dame there at uh, number three. That's a program that's typically pretty good in all of this. Uh, Texas A&M has been a uh, kind of a hot recruiting team the last few years there at number four. You know, you kind of get into some kind of, you know, weird stuff later on the top ten. But for the most part, if you want to measure the real health and success of a recruiting program, sometimes I, I think it's better to look a cycle ahead, in this case 2023, as opposed to the cycle that you're in 2022. Because let's face it. Successful people in life are always working a little bit ahead, right? They're always thinking about the next thing. They're not doing everything right on deadline. They're not, you know, rushing to get some, something completed right at the time that, that it's needed. They are kind of working and planning ahead. And for Georgia, I think a lot of folks spent the summer kind of wondering, 
well, where is this program from a recruiting standpoint? We're not seeing some of those elite four- and five-star names showing up in conversation around Georgia the same level that we're kind of used to. And obviously the thought was, well, eventually everything will probably be fine for UGA, and lo and behold, that seems like it's exactly the case. Guys like Mikael Williams and Bear Alexander and other big-time names expected to be in Athens on Saturday for the Arkansas game. Kamari Wilson's taking an official visit, and lo and behold, right on schedule, the Georgia 2022 class seems to be coming together kind of nicely, even if we're not quite sure yet who all those names are going to be but maybe the evidence that proves that was always going to be the case is the fact that Georgia always seems to be very strong working a cycle ahead when it comes to the very best cornerbacks the very best offensive linemen you can't recruit them last minute that's not a test that you can cram for you have to establish those long-term relationships over the course of years and if you're doing and handling your business in the current cycle then you can work ahead of your competitors when it comes to the names and no for the 2023 cycle as impressive as anything that Kirby Smart's done in recruiting, it's stuff like that. The fact that they're able to establish that foundation and lay those fundamentals down and grow those roots for future recruiting cycles. Obviously, Georgia in the midst of possibly putting together an elite class for 2022. But don't forget the big work the dogs are doing in 2023 as well. And of course, we'll talk more about that on Friday when Jeff Sintel joins us. For now, let me remind you, it's Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We also start every morning at 9.45 with our first and 15 at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app, and we appreciate you being a part of that. Of course, podcasts on all the various platforms, radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, however you get to us. We are just really glad to have you here for all of that, and a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for making it all possible. You know, Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. What that means is they are experts in the law. And when you're going through the divorce process, nothing more important than understanding how that law works for you. But here's the other thing that, that Meriwether and Tharp understands, that this is not an emotion-neutral situation. This is, this is a situation where there's a lot of emotion. It takes a lot of bravery and courage just to take the step to go through a divorce. And... It's the kind of thing that you've obviously questioned yourself on. Is this the right next step? And unfortunately, for many of the people who listen, you find yourself in this situation where you have to say, yes, the next step for me is to end this relationship for whatever your reasons are. Well, not only does Meriwether and Tharp understand the law and how that impacts you, they understand the emotional situation you're going through as you go through this. It can be scary to not know what the you know the, the the future of your finances are or it can be you know very heavy on your heart and your mind to think about how their relationship with your children's going to be impacted through all of this Meriwether and Tharp gets all of that they understand the law they understand your feelings around your current situation and that's why they want to work tirelessly for you to set you up for success an enjoyable next season of your life and that's why I can so easily recommend them for you because I hear from people in our audience who've used Meriwether and Tharp and allowed Meriwether and Tharp to help them go through their own divorce. And I understand the way in which Meriwether and Tharp, my friends over there, have worked so hard to kind of help put the pieces back together for the lives of the people in our audience who've been impacted by divorce. So please make sure you check them out. TheAtlantaDivorceTeam.com. TheAtlantaDivorceTeam.com. That is Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Make sure you find them online here today and start that process free initial consultation and everything that goes along with that all right we're gonna get terrence edwards coming up in just a moment terrence has been saying a lot about lad mcconkey and on saturday against vanderbilt everything that terrence has said in the past i think was validated in a huge way we will talk to terrence edwards about all of that here coming up in a moment before that though speaking of wide receivers let's go around the doghouse and it's presented today by our friends at serve pro and 
obviously you can't have the success that Arkansas has had this year, top 10 team, 4-0, and without some impressive individual player performances to get there. And you can talk about a number of names of the Arkansas program, but the single most important individual name I think right now is Traylon Burks. Uh, Burks, the receiver for the Razorbacks, I think arguably, I think there's a pretty strong case to be made that he's the best receiver in the SEC. Uh, that is a pretty big deal. It also seems to kind of coincide with what a lot of Georgia fans view as kind of a vulnerability for the Bulldogs, how you defend uh, against top receivers, especially when you see someone like Joshua Van, who's probably from South Carolina, a little less heralded than what Burks is for Arkansas, certainly much less heralded probably than what Burks is for Arkansas. George had his issues with Van the other day. Burks is a little bit different kind of guy. But it was interesting to hear Smart, going back to Tuesday night, talking about all the different ways in which Arkansas and their very creative offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, has used Burks thus far this reason. It gives Georgia a lot to think about. And if you're planning on, you know, kind of learning what you can learn about Arkansas, no bigger individual name to know for the Hogs than Burks, the wide receiver, possibly the top in the SEC. This is Kirby Smart breaking him down going back to Tuesday night. Well, he's a matchup, tough matchup. I mean, first of all, they put him everywhere. He's in the backfield. He's a quarterback. He's a receiver. He's a slot. He's a tight end. I mean, he does everything. They find ways to get him the ball. Uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's fast. He's faster than you think he is. He gets out there on the edge and can go. Um, really tough. So, you know, obviously when it comes to 50-50 ball, size matters. And he's got great length and really good ball skills. So, I mean, he, he was a problem for us last year. Um, he's been a problem for the SEC for a while. And uh, he's a really good football player. So let me say this here for a moment, and I'm going to try not to sound too much like what the message board guys call a Disney dog. You know, the idea that you are just too optimistic about Georgia and not realistic enough. I'm going to try not to be that. But when you hear Kirby Smart say, oh, look how good Traylon Burks is, and that brings to mind for Georgia fans their concerns about the Georgia secondary right now. And I get all of that. The Georgia secondary has its issues, right? You're still trying to figure out what you have there at that spot, how ready a young guy like Healy Ringo is, you know, where Amir Speed fits into all of this. It seems like Darian Kendrick's kind of locked down that one side of the field, even though he's been beaten a couple times this year. For the most part, he seems to be fine. But you're still trying to figure out everything else right now. I get all of that. I'm not trying to tell you that doesn't matter. But here is something I do truly believe. Once again, to not be too, as the message board guys say, too Disney dogish for a moment. I think this notion that you have to be perfect with all 22 of your starters to have any chance of winning a national championship, I just think that's overstating the issue. I think every team that has won the national championship has had some issues and vulnerability somewhere. I mean, think back to you know LSU in 2019 as a for instance gave up big point total to Vanderbilt, gave up a gazillion yards to Ole Miss, struggled defensively in a lot of their biggest games, but they overcame that and they won the, the, the national championship that year. And what you're seeing from Georgia right now, dominant in the front seven, little suspect maybe in the secondary, is not all that different than what Georgia put together in 2017, where I think this front seven actually in totality is probably better than the one in 2017 but Georgia was very good up front in 2017 they gave up some big passing plays throughout the year that year remember first half of Missouri remember the Auburn game in November on the road even South Carolina had a couple uh, deep plays you know in the in the early stage of that 2017 uh you know game against Georgia Georgia did not have a perfect secondary in 2017 either and I'm not telling you it doesn't matter that Georgia's got issues with its defensive backs right now it does matter but Everything in a football team is connected. 
And the job for Georgia is no different than the job for anybody else, is that you've got to be good enough with your strengths that you can mitigate against your weaknesses. That's just what it comes down to. And there is a very good chance that Burks on Saturday probably gets hit on a big play at some point in time. If I'm Arkansas, that's probably my only chance of winning anyway, to keep throwing in that direction and keep trying for those home runs because I'm not going to be able to nibble four and five yards at a time, right? I may not be able to run the football at all. My only chance to, to keep this game close is to swing for the fences and hope I hit on a couple. The truth is, you know, given what Georgia's given up, uh, pass interferences to Clemson, the big plays to Van, there is a chance that Georgia gives up something there in that spot. But the job is just to overcome it. You know, you give up a big play to Burks, get a couple more sacks, get a couple more tackles for loss. You give up a big play to Burks, Get your own big plays offensively. And that's where I think there's a pretty important stat that kind of uh, comes to mind here. There's a guy named Todd Furman who's kind of a gambling-type guy. You've seen him on TV before. He breaks down the gambling stuff. But on social media, he's kind of tweeting out you know a lot of the stats and things like that that the gambling guys kind of enjoy. And he shared something kind of interesting the other day. I think this is a pretty important stat for measuring college football teams. It's net yards per play. In other words, you take your yards per play on offense, how many yards you're averaging for every play run, and you subtract from that the yards per play that you're allowing on defense. And that gives you a pretty good picture of overall program strength. How many yards you're getting per play, how many yards you've given up per play. The bigger the number is, the better your overall you know, team strength is for a given year. And what Todd Furman lets us know is, is that right now Georgia is number one in the country when it comes to net yards per play against FBS-level opponents here this year. It's 3.9. Surprisingly, Kentucky's number two. After that, Ohio State's at three. Arkansas, to its credit, is actually four. Then you get to Michigan, Ole Miss, Arizona State, Iowa State, Coastal Carolina. But right there at the top of this is Georgia. Net yards per play, 3.9. And what that's telling me is, that yes, maybe this is a Georgia team that's going to still be somewhat likely to give, and we can take that down now if you don't mind. Uh, a Georgia team that's going to be somewhat, you know, likely to give up the big play uh, to Burks or somebody like that every now and then. That may happen in college football; it frequently does. But Georgia's also much more capable this year of doing things to counterbalance that. Its own negative plays defensively with sacks or tackles for loss, which we've seen the Georgia front seven doing uh, at, at a regular clip and creating its own explosive plays offensively there as well. So the job for Georgia on Saturday, just to kind of wrap all this up, is not to pitch a shutout against Traylon Burks. You may not be able to do that. The job is to make sure whatever you do give up to him as a big play, you get more offensive big plays of your own, and you get a couple of those negative defensive plays, those havoc-type plays. And if you do that, even if Burks gets his name in the paper come Sunday morning, you still may be in okay shape as far as all that game goes. In fact, I think Georgia would be in pretty good shape. And that net yards per play number, I think, kind of points you in that direction. It's Around the Doghouse. is presented today by our friends at ServePro. And obviously, as a homeowner, one of the most challenging things you can deal with is any kind of damage to your home. Frequently, this is caused by fire or water intrusion or something like that. That can be a real tough thing to deal with. Well, that's where my friends at ServPro step in because their restoration specialists can repair that damage and fix it and literally make it like it never even happened. That's one of those things that ServPro is terrific at being able to do for you. They can repair your home and get all that damage just back the way that it used to be like it never even happened. Every ServPro franchise is also independently owned and operated as well. 
which means you're working with people that understand the importance of kind of family-oriented direct service. This is These are people that care about their clients, their customers. They're working hand-in-hand hand with them each and every day. Uh, I love what Serve Pro does. I love the fact they take care of folks when it comes to those uh, damage issues you may deal, be dealing with your house. So check them out today. Uh, let them get that work for you, that cleanup, that, that, that repair done for you, and get your home back like it never even happened. That's what Serve Pro can do for you. Let me give you the website. It's servepro.com. Uh, let me spell it out. S-E-R-V-P-R-O servepro.com that's what they'll do for you they can get it back like it never happened when it comes to fire damage water intrusion anything along those lines servepro taking great care of you here today all right before we are done pretty interesting i guess semi-controversy kind of erupting around the alabama Ole miss game for saturday we'll kind of touch on that we'll talk about why that game i think matters to uga fans we'll give more thoughts about the other big games around the sec and college football as we uh, head towards saturday that is all upcoming for now Georgia, Arkansas, the big one on Saturday, what you do against Burks, the playmakers for Georgia that could be emerging. Let's cover all of that right now. Let's talk to Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Thought. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, say hello to Terrence Edwards here. Good stuff with him. Of course, uh, a guy that has really been touting uh, Ladd McConkey as of late. And, boy, that seemed like a pretty smart opinion to have shared based on what Ladd did against Vanderbilt last week. We'll get to that here coming up in a moment. Before that, uh, though, Terrence, I want to talk about the uh, receiver on the other side. Um how good is Traylon Burks in your mind? What does he do for Arkansas? And I was talking before you joined about the challenge of, you know, he may get a big play at some point in time on Saturday. I think Georgia's just got to have more big plays of its own than what it allows to a guy like Burks. If that's the case, you're probably fine. But overall, what do you think Traylon Burks brings to the table for Arkansas? Man, he's a, a very, very good receiver. Man, he uh, every time you turn on, a, on an Arkansas game, you see him – doing something spectacular either it's a long touchdown catch a a moth-like situation where he's going over dbs or he just flat out being a db down the field like he did the last game against a and uh i think this guy is a is a nfl uh first day first round type receiver and he's going to make his play so let's not act like because he plays for arkansas we and we cheer for georgia that he's not a good receiver. He's going to make his plays. We just got to limit those plays. And uh, if he gets one, uh, you know, let's regroup and go back. It's a long football game because he, he is going to make plays. And I've said this, that if I'm Kendall Bryles, the Arkansas offensive coordinator, this may be my best shot, right? I mean, it's not like you're going to just line up and run it on Georgia four or five yards at a time. I don't know that any team's going to be able to do that. So you might as well swing for the fences, which means that if you – you know, throw it deep four or five times. The idea of you're going to connect on one of those is probably pretty good. You may connect on more than one of those. And it's not like I want to completely gloss over the fact that Georgia's got some issues with its secondary right now. I think that's true. I and mean, it's the kind of thing that you do have to pay attention to. But it's also not the kind of thing I'm going to panic about, right? It's like, you know, if, if you're getting sacks and tackles for loss, if you're creating enough havoc, the idea that you might get occasionally beat on the back end for a big play just shake it off and go back to work. I, I don't think the job for Georgia is to be perfect when it comes to you know allowing the occasional big play offensively, especially to a good receiver. I, I think you just got to shake it off and make sure you don't give up too you know too many of them. But the idea that you're not going to give up any, I just don't know that that's realistic. Oh, I don't think so either. I mean, you look at a guy like Traylon Burke, who's six three, two hundred and thirty pounds. Man, that is a 
monster of a guy out there on the edge by himself and the way that we pressure the quarterback. Sometimes we leave uh, Keela Ringo and uh, Kendra's out there on the island by themselves. And, uh, you know, he's going to make his plays, but we just got to limit those plays. And if I'm the offense coordinator for um, Arkansas, just like you said, I'm going to try to put Georgia in a situation where we get one-on-one situations and he's probably your best offensive player. And you got to find ways to put him in positions where he gets favorable matchups. So if I'm the OC for Arkansas, I'm trying to find Traylon Burke as much as possible. So I said this a moment ago, and I mean this half-kiddingly, half-seriously, but you've been touting Lad McConkey. We talked about this last week. And then he goes out and does what he did against Vanderbilt on Saturday, and all of a sudden now you're like, wow, this is really one of Georgia's legitimate offensive weapons. I mean, uh, I guess I'll give you a chance to you know pat yourself in the back here for kind of calling this one as the season was starting, but – in all seriousness, what did you think of what McConkey did last week against the Commodores and all the creative ways in which George was using him? Oh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, if you just go back and look at his high school film, uh, he's very creative with the ball in his hand. Uh, he's not a stiff guy receiver to be so fast. He can make people miss in space. And when I first got him, uh, didn't know much about him, watched his film, never really seen him kick to football. But once he came to train with me and – you see he's a natural catcher of the football. The ball never really gets into his body. He's always reaching out with his hands. And one of the things that Kirby and Hankton told me about him once they got him there, that he's tough as nails. Oh, he's tough. And that's what they like about him. Yeah. You saw him a few times on them down blocks. He's blocking defensive ends at 180 pounds. Uh, he came about 165, and he's up about 180 now. And he's just making plays. And uh, that's one of those where – you know, I think the fans wasn't too excited about uh, a Dunde Mitchell or a Lad McConkey, but the coaches' evaluation of those two guys was spot on, and they fit. They fit into what we want to do offensively, and uh, you're going to see. You're going to see those two guys continue to make plays. And I was thinking about this, and this is obviously easy to say in retrospect, and I'll admit I was not the one saying this necessarily before you know this season began, but – when people look at a recruiting rank and they see it low and you know have a tendency to kind of disregard that and think more about the guys with the four- and five-star variety, it is important to note that at that size, you're never going to get the high recruiting ranking, right? Because, I mean, so much of what goes into your recruiting ranking is your size. So it's almost like for a guy like Lad, Terrence, the recruiting rating is totally irrelevant, right? It's not a good judge of how good he is as a player because some of that is based on do you have the traditional size specs? And so – for a lot of the evaluation of McConkie, and admittedly, you know, I'm, I was not saying this before the fact, but looking back on it, it seems a bit more obvious now. But so much of the evaluation of McConkie has got to be about the elite skill that he possessed, which is that ability to make people miss in the short space. You know, just the overall athleticism. You know, he you know clearly high points the football pretty well. He did that on his on, on his touchdown score. That the evaluation for him has got to go so far beyond what the recruiting ranking was because. A lot of what the recruiting ranking is going to say is how well do you compare to two traditional football players? McConkie's clearly not in the traditional mold necessarily, but that's obviously not the kind of thing that's going to prevent him from being a very good player. Almost definitely. I think the eye test is a big part of where you're ranked. Uh, you know, I've seen the, the the best high school football player I've seen in my life uh, from watching all the films from, I man, I'm 42 years old. It's. Uh, the quarterback at Arizona Cordes right now, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, to me, is the best high school football player I've ever seen, but he still was not the number one rated player coming out in his class. I don't even think he was the number one rated quarterback coming out of his class. Why? Because he was 
five, nine and a half. But he is the best football player that I've ever seen on the field, high school-wise, and he still wasn't ranked as high because he didn't pass the eye test. So eye test is part of the evaluation process that evaluators take into account. And I guess I sort of get the impression, I mean, Georgia's kind of gone for this kind of prototype of player before. Like I think about a Kill Crumpton kind of being in that variety, and you sort of get the impression that maybe Georgia may be looking for this archetype of player a little bit in the future where it's like, okay, if we can find the guy that has the the shiftiness, the speediness, even if it's not a very big player, as long as he has the requisite toughness, then maybe we'll see Georgia taking a flyer on, you know, small, fast receivers who have good senior seasons. And, you know, maybe the recruiting ranking for some of these future Georgia commits is going to be maybe not as important that maybe McConkey is going to kind of represent a type that Georgia now goes after a little bit. Do you foresee that being true based on the the kind of way you watch that position so closely? I think they're going to go out after the guys that they fit, they feel fit what they want to do. I mean, just, just take Clemson, for example. Clemson really like big receivers because they do a lot of RPOs and they do a lot of what are called 50-50 balls, the guys that be, go up and get the ball. Yes, you have some Amari Rodgers in the slot, some um, – those type of guys, but they Clemson normally look for those bigger, taller receivers. Georgia go for fit. You really don't. Justin Robinson is a big receiver, but you don't have a lot of the six four, six five. They go off what they feel their evaluations fit for their program, and that's uh, a five star receiver, or that's a Lad McConkey or Donde Mitchell. They're looking for guys that they could bring into camp, and they see. This guy has a lot what Lad has, is a lot of heart, may not be the biggest, but he's going to go out and compete every day. You can have a five-star who has the size, has the speed, but don't have the heart or the competitive edge like a Lad or like a Dunday Mitchell. So you got to get these guys and get very intimate with these guys at these camps to know what they're bringing to the table, just not their skill set. I got more questions for Terrence Edwards coming up here in a moment. I do want to remind folks it's a huge weekend in Athens. Obviously, the presence of ESPN's College Game Day makes that so. And when you think about game day, you think about the big personalities, including Kirk Herbstreet, who's got a terrific new book out. And I've heard so many things about the book with Herbstreet where he really gets into more than just football. He kind of gets into his own life and some of the things that, you know, it kind of been going on with him parallel to his obviously rise towards great fame as a college football analyst. And a lot of this stuff is in the book. And the book itself is going to be at the UGA bookstore. In fact, starting at 10 a.m. on Friday morning, there are going to be about a couple hundred copies of this book that have been signed by Herb Street himself. So if you think about a great gift as we head towards the holidays or if you just want a tremendous keepsake yourself, maybe a reminder of what happened this weekend with game day being on hand for the Georgia-Arkansas game, a signed copy of Kirk Herbstreet's brand-new book is a great way to get that. You can do that starting Friday morning at 10 a.m. there at the UGA bookstore. Also, my understanding is and this is going to be you know a very brief window, but around like 11.15 or so, I think Herbstreet's going to stop by and say hello to the folks who are in the bookstore there at that time. Short appearance, you know, 15 minutes or so, 11.15 there that morning on that, uh, that's tomorrow, it's on Friday. You can see Herbstreet for a minute there at the UGA bookstore. Also starting at 10 a.m., there are a couple of hundred copies of that brand new book by Kirk Herbstreet that will be signed by Kirk himself. So, Great to have the game day folks in Athens here this weekend, and great to have autographed copies of Kirk Street's brand new book at the UGA Bookstore, and also a chance for you to meet him briefly Friday morning there as well, 11-15 is when all that is going to go down. 
So um, really very good stuff uh, uh, there on Friday at the UGA Bookstore. If you want more details or if you just want to do some shopping, the shirt that I'm wearing right now came from the UGA Bookstore. Beautiful Peter Millar. Uh, red with George G. This is the kind of stuff that you can get there at the uh, UGA bookstore. And if it looks good on me, how much? Imagine how much better it's going to look on you. So make sure you check that out at the UGA bookstore uh, here today. Uh, another playmaker, Terrence, that Georgia is using right now so well is Brock Bowers, and I just think that Bowers is more than just a freshman. He's more than just a tight end. I think that he's on pace to being as dangerous a pass catching weapon as Kirby Smart has had since he's been Georgia coach since 2016. My assumption is Arkansas probably works hard to take him away on Saturday. We'll see how Todd Monk encounters to all of that. But how much is what Bowers is doing, five touchdowns through four games, how much is all of this impressing you here at the moment? Oh, very impressive me. I think he's uh, – I wouldn't call him a surprise because I think everyone who's seen him practice, who's read about the guy that he's uh, – this is what everyone expected from him. Uh, you have read the stories coming out of camps. He's been one of the, the best players offensively uh, throughout the spring, throughout the mini camps, throughout the summer workouts, and he's just showing it now. I mean, once I evaluated him with Jeff Suntell, I just saw a big wide receiver that just happened to be a, in a tight end's body, and he's proven to be everything that I thought he would be and proven to everything that the Georgia coaches thought he would be. No, I think that's uh, really great to be able to see. Let me squeeze in one more thing before I let you go. When I think about Georgia-Arkansas, I think about some of the great games over the years between these programs. And, you know, Terrence, I have such fond memories of the 2002 SEC Championship. A lot of folks don't realize, you know, Georgia had been working for all those years to even get into the SEC Championship game. It had been around since the 90s, and your senior season was Georgia's first chance to play in that game. And you get the 30-3 to win, the dominant performance over the Razorbacks that day. But it was such a special day for the program, breaking a 20-year drought of – SEC titles for the dogs that's what you guys were able to do there in 2002 when I think about Arkansas I think a lot about that game in the old Georgia Dome there at that time what are your memories of the 2002 SEC championship game in particular man that was a great atmosphere I think uh being part of that and uh it's going to go down in in the record books you know, first time in 20 years, and I'm just so happy that the senior class that I was with, with Tony Gilbert and Boss Bailey and, and uh, John Stenscom, man, we got the opportunity to to be that class to bring it back. And winning that game and being the first class in 20 years to win an SEC championship was just a great feeling. And one of the, one of the best moments in my life and my sporting career, being able to be a part of that and uh, going against that Arkansas team with Matt Jones and Batman Carroll on the defensive side, and we knew it was going to be a tough contest. But I just thought, just thought that we was the best team at that time, at that point of the season. I think we was clicking the best, and I wish we'd had the opportunity to play for the national championship that year. And people don't realize if the current format was in place, we would have had the opportunity to be in that playoff. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think that was one of the best teams that that don't get talked about. Uh, man, we had a lot a lot of ballers on that team man just a fond memory and can't wait today bring us back to uh celebrate that historical moment in georgia history no i think that's exactly right terrence all of that so appropriate and as someone who was at that game and really most of the games that season i can tell you for the fans who lived through that era man we have terrific memories of it we appreciate your contribution to it 
And we appreciate you being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. We'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you next week. Uh, also remind us that great work you're doing with those receivers, next generation of pass catchers, guys who are doing big things on Friday nights, who are moving on to Saturdays there as well. How can folks get in touch with you to find out how you can impact their own playing career? Uh, if you want your son or a daughter, let's say, that plays flag football now, flag football is a big thing now in the state of Georgia with high school and forbidden flag football. Uh, you can find me on all social medias at Terrence Elwood Wide Receiver Academy. Terrific stuff, Terrence. Thanks for your time. We'll look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Boy, you love the chance to talk to Terrence Edwards and great memories of that 2002 SEC championship. I think about it frequently when I think about uh, this Georgia-Arkansas game on Saturday. And for those of us who remember that, 20 years, long time to go with an SEC title. And, you know, Georgia unfortunately had to live with that for a while. But when that glass ceiling got kicked over and kicked through, punched through, it got punched through in an emphatic way against the Razorbacks there that night. Everybody remembers the Mario Menor block pond and the, 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 just the, it was really a celebratory night. It, there aren't very many moments in life when you go into a big game like that. You know, there was, I don't think any Georgia fan who thought Arkansas had much of a chance to beat Georgia that day. It was kind of a weird year in the SEC West where, um, you know, there just wasn't, you know, really a necessarily a great team in the West. I think Alabama's on probation. Uh, it was just kind of a strange, just kind of a strange year in the West. So Arkansas kind of emerged from that from that group, and Georgia wallops them. I think Arkansas, what beat LSU at the end of the season, actually make its way into the SEC championship. Arkansas walloped. I remember also the ticket was so hot. You know, on the Georgia side of things, you couldn't get tickets to the game at all. But I remember I got my tickets for that game through Arkansas. Right? I mean, they were only six and five or something. They had, you know, not a, not a great record at all. But so their fans weren't weren't traveling in great numbers, and so those they were happy to sell their tickets to Georgia fans and whatever else. Because back then I didn't have a lot of folded money in my pocket. I, you know, some of these high ticket prices you see now, I couldn't have paid those back then. I had to try to be you know creative and clever about how I got my tickets. And so I remember uh, getting them for that game and having a great time. And you know what a day it was for the Georgia Bulldogs. Good memories there for Terrence Edwards. By the way, speaking of high school football, Terrence brings that up. Don't forget we got a great one coming up on Friday. It's going to be one of the more interesting games that we've done. We had what a night was uh, last week with uh, Warner Robins and Lee County and the great performance by the Demons there, as impressive as anything we've seen. And we've been on a real hot streak with some really terrific high school performances on Peachtree TV and streaming at CBS46.com. This Friday's game is going to be tremendous in that it's the number one, number two teams from the single-A private classification in the state of Georgia with Eagles Landing Christian Academy and Trinity Christian. Trinity scored more than 50 points in each of its games thus far this season. You've got SEC-level prospects on both these teams, on both sides of the ball. It is a tremendous, tremendous showdown. Two teams that know each other really well. Of course, Eagles Landing is one of those teams you've seen you know, in the mix now uh, at that single-A private classification for a while. Trinity played for the state title against Brock Vandergriff a year ago. So these are these are deep teams. These are filled with that high Division One SEC-level talent, and they're going to show down in a big way on Friday night on Peachtree TV. Cannot wait to bring all of that to you. That's the action on Friday. Let's also turn our attention now to the action on Saturdays as well as we do our Bet US Best Bets, and we look at the key point spreads and things to know for the upcoming games here this weekend. Obviously, Georgia sitting at 18.5 right now against Arkansas. I, I like – now, you should know this. My picks this year, and we'll, we'll do these on Go With The Flow, and you'll see that Friday in the Dog Nation video channels uh, presented by R. Sanders. My picks this year, other than Georgia, have really not been too bad. I'm seeing the ball pretty well on the board as it is overall. But my picks on the dogs, 
the team that you would think I know better than anybody else, they've been awful. I think, and i, I got to go back and check the math on this. I'm pretty sure I'm actually 0-8 because we picked for Georgia. We picked the spread and the over-under. I'm pretty sure I'm 0-8 on picking UGA games this year. Uh, and that's been on both sides of it. Sometimes I pick them to cover, and they don't. Sometimes I pick them not to cover, and they do. I pick the game to go over, and it does. And I pick the game to go under, and, and, and it doesn't do that either. Uh, so I've been wrong on every side of every issue when it comes to Georgia. So take my opinion on this with a grain of salt for sure. But I, I do think it sets up well for Georgia on Saturday. I guess the one thing that you're careful of is, if you're thinking point spread, is Kirby going to punch that final touchdown in with his buddy Sam Pittman on the other side? Maybe not, but that doesn't mean you can't cover in the game. I think Georgia is clearly the better of the two teams. I think Tennessee-Missouri is a very interesting game. Missouri admittedly is one of the more disappointing teams in the SEC for me relative to expectations. I thought they'd be better. They've turned out to be thus far, including what was really a pretty embarrassing loss at Boston College last weekend given the things that Eli Drinkwitz said about B.C. going into the game. You can't go flat in that spot at Chestnut Hill. Last week, Missouri did. They have been good, though, under Drinkwitz at home. Think about the win last year against Kentucky. Think about the win last year against LSU. They did big things in Como a season ago. The Tennessee defense is just terrible. And, you know, maybe they're making a quarterback change. They're going to Hendon Hooker. Maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. But overall, you're talking about a you know a pretty bad Tennessee defensive team. I think that Tennessee's one of the worst teams in the SEC. This is a spot where teams like that typically lose. So I'll take Missouri minus the three here. I like Alabama a lot, minus what is now a 14-and-a-half number at BetUS. A little bit of action moving the direction of the Rebels here. Um, you couldn't pay me to take Ole Miss here in this spot. I love Alabama to the tune of three touchdowns or, or, or more. I said this to our video audience before our regular broadcast started, that Look, it's my job. I'm kind of a blowhard that screams into a microphone. I get things wrong from time to time. If I get it way wrong on Ole Miss, I'll gladly take my medicine on this come Monday. Thus far, through three games, the Rebels have been better than I told you they would be before the season started. I'm not ready to concede my preseason opinion on Ole Miss as of yet. This is the kind of thing where anybody who says because Alabama scuffled against Florida and because Ole Miss has been kind of riding high, scoring a bunch of points, and because Ole Miss played them close a year ago, this is somehow easy to spot a, a Rebels team playing it closer than the experts think on Saturday. I will gladly go against that and take Alabama here. And we were on the other side of that when Alabama went to Florida two weeks ago, but feel pretty confident being, being on the side of the Crimson Tide here right now. I don't have a strong pick in the Florida-Kentucky game. Kentucky getting eight and a half points at home. But I do think this sets up as a pretty dangerous spot for Florida, given where it's been in its last two home games. It frankly was not a huge surprise to me to see Florida cover against Florida. We picked them to do so. We also picked Florida to cover against Tennessee last week, given my issues with the Vols' defense. Kentucky, though, better defensively. Kentucky doing some things offensively with Will Levis, a quarterback, and a brand-new offensive coordinator they have not done previous under Mark Stoops. You know, uh, is is Florida ready for all that? They quite possibly could be. But if you're going to force me to take a side on this, I'll take Kentucky plus the points after being on the Gators in each of the last two weeks. I think Texas A&M bounced back against Mississippi State because I don't think much of Mississippi State. And I'll take LSU against Auburn because right now I think that Auburn program is a little bit of a mess. I'll also tell you this really quickly, and then we'll wrap up our bet U.S. best bets. How crazy is it that Maybe the worst game on paper I've ever seen will also be in the SEC on Saturday. With a Vanderbilt team that you just saw against Georgia last week lose 62 to nothing. do y'all realize they are 14.5-point favorites on Saturday against UConn? This is maybe the worst game I can ever remember. 
I mean, how is Vanderbilt 14.5-point favorite against anyone? Not only did they lose by more than 60 to Georgia, they lost 23-3 to East Tennessee State. And now they're 14.5-point favorites to UConn. How bad are the Huskies in this spot? Uh, that, that to me, it, it's such a gross game that I'm like fascinated by it. And I think a lot of folks are kind of the same way. It's like, is this the worst looking college football game you've ever seen? There's also a few bad ones on Saturday. I think you got what, Ohio University, which only won once against Akron, which may be the worst team in the country. You've got a, you, you've got a couple of spots on Saturday where you got, you got bad teams against bad teams. And so do with that what you will. But what you should do is take advantage of the great offer from my friends at BetUS right now. You know, they are America's most beloved sports book, and you don't last for as long as they have, more than 25 years, with as favorable reviews as they get if you're not taking good care of your players. In fact, their care for you begins right when you sign up. When you when you join uh, BetUS here today and get yourself a, an account up and rolling there, BetUS is going to give you a 125% sign-up bonus. That means, in simple language, if you put in $100, they're going to give you another $125. It means before you even place your first bet, you're already a winner. You'll have 125% more money than you put in on that before you even win your first bet. That is what BetUS is doing for you. You'd be crazy not to take advantage of that offer and take advantage of your own knowledge about some of these games here as we head towards the weekend. So go to BetUS.com. It's the promo code DN125 to do that. It stands for Dog Nation 125. It's not just college football it's the uh, pros the game tonight throughout the weekend baseball as it comes down the stretch all the stuff related to sports you can get your action in on it all at betus.com but to get the big 125 percent sign up bonus you've got to use the promo code dn125 so make sure you do that today dn125 for my friends at betus and here on dog nation daily presented by meriwether and threat let's turn our attention back to the georgia bulldogs here for a moment, or I guess maybe more broadly for a moment, I want to talk about how a Georgia fan should view what's going to happen on Saturday between Ole Miss and Alabama. And what has turned out to be a little bit of an interesting subplot in this game, you know, people are always screaming stuff on TV about sports, and everybody's trying to get attention, and, you know, sometimes things gain, for whatever reason, more traction than others. It's been really interesting to me to see the traction gained by a recent comment from Michael Wilbon, ESPN, pardon the interruptions, the name of the show, about Lane Kiffin. In a pick of Alabama for the game, Wilbon went pretty hard at Lane Kiffin, and this got some attention. I think a lot of folks were caught off guard by just how heavy into Kiffin Wilbon went. Take a listen to this as a way of setting up this conversation. Michael Wilbon on Lane Kiffin. There's nothing to be proud of if you're a college footballer or any of the sport from Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's a clown. Lane Kiffin has been an embarrassment at multiple stops. I mean, nobody's going to run out there and say, yeah, I want Lane Kiffin right here on the logo representing me. Lane Kiffin's a cute little story for guys like us who have to talk about sports every day, and we can come in Monday and say, ha, 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 Lane Kiffin. Once again, Lane Kiffin equals embarrassment at some point wherever he is. Will Bond got a lot of attention for that. Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss coach, the subject of Will Bond's ire there, not one to ever shy away from his own chance to earn some attention. He goes on social media, which Kiffin seems to do about every topic, every issue, and really kind of fanned the flames of this a little bit more. I'll show you a couple of the tweets here from uh, Kiffin about this. He says, so, geez, I'll pray for you to Mike Wilbon. Life is too short to be uh, so angry. That was Kiffin's first comment on this. And then he kind of joked about it and had some fun with the idea that Wilbon was picking Alabama to win the game. I'll show you this one to you there as well. Essentially laughing at uh, Wilbon, he says, 
And way to go out on a, he says a limp, but I believe he means go out on a limb. Way to go out on a limb and pick the number one team in the country at home who's a huge favorite. How long did you watch film to come up with that surprise pick? Really newsworthy, Captain Obvious. Once again, Lane Kiffin says on Twitter, and he adds PTI in all of that. So it seems like Kiffin, for the most part, is kind of spinning this into a joke and using the chance to notice Wilbon saying what he's saying to cultivate attention. Lane Kiffin's, you know, say what you will about him, but he is certainly very good at using Twitter and social media platforms to get that kind of attention for his program. But for a lot of folks in Oxford, the words of Wilbon carried a lot of weight, and they quickly came to the defense of their head coach, including a guy who I know, Richard Cross, terrific radio host in the state of Mississippi, uh, connected to the Ole Miss broadcast, kind of a Rebels insider, if you will, a guy you also over the years have seen on the SEC Network there as well. And I think speaking on behalf of the folks around the Ole Miss program, felt like the words of Michael Wilbon kind of took this situation with Kiffin a little too far. This from SEC Country Live yesterday. What Michael Wilbon said was stupid, first and it just reeked of being incredibly personal like did, mm-hmm. did Lane Kiffin like run over his dog did sure. Monty Kiffin you know say something to him somewhere along the way and he's just held a grudge that he's never let go because I, I don't know how this is relevant so so, so what are we talking about here uh, are there allegedly things that happened off the field as it pertains to what the opposite sex Somewhere along the way? I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess so. But in terms of, from a football standpoint, we're talking about a guy who was offered and accepted an NFL job at 30, 31, and then kind of unceremoniously fired by Al Davis, who's a little crazy. He gets the Tennessee job and gets things moving in the right direction in short order and then leaves it for his dream job, Southern Cal, where he'd been an offensive coordinator and worked for Pete Carroll. And then that obviously doesn't go well, and he kind of gets on the rehab tour and, you know, goes through Alabama. Look, I think it's a little more telling what Nick Saban says about Lane Kiffin than what Michael Wilbon says about him. So let me just say this really quickly. Uh, My feelings on this are somewhat complicated. I have great respect for Richard Cross. I think his words there are, you know, pretty poignant. I think he says it pretty well. However, I also kind of think that if you're a little farther removed from the situation – I don't think it's completely unfair to say, hey, Lane Kiffin maybe hasn't quite proven to me that he's rebooted himself as well as those in Oxford who know him better, who see him up close and personal or watch him every day. I don't think it's unfair to say that the people a little farther removed from that might see the situation a little bit different, and they might remember some of the more colorful aspects of Kiffin's past, even apart from like the rumor mill stuff. You know the the way in which he kind of wore out his welcome as Alabama offensive coordinator. You know, kind of tucking tail and running after at Tennessee after a year. The way that it ends for him there at USC there as well. That's the kind of thing that's going to stick with people's memory a little bit. And when it comes to Michael Wilbon, I mean, this is a guy I was watching on TV back in the 1980s when I was a child. Pardon the interruption itself has been on for 20 years. Wilbon's an old guy on an old TV show. A lot of people are going to say, well, his opinion on Lane Kiffin's also pretty old there, too, that the Kiffin he's describing is not the current Kiffin that exists in the mind of folks around the SEC. Maybe they're in Oxford, Mississippi there as well. But I don't think it's wrong to say that Kiffin still has a lot more to prove to others that he really is mature enough now to, to be the kind of person that can lead an SEC program for more than a couple of years before it all just kind of flames out. That's what Saturday's kind of about. And if you're a Georgia fan, you know, this is where I think it becomes very relevant for you too. What is the number now, if I have it correctly? Is it 23-0? and 
Nick Saban 23-0 in his career against his former assistants. Another guy in Lane Kiffin on Saturday takes a crack at that prize, much the same way that Kirby Smart has a handful of times there as well. And I've told you this before. As a Georgia fan, I don't mind telling you that I root against, whether it be Jimbo, uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, over the years it's been you know guys like you know, Will Muschamp or whoever else, but all of these former Saban assistants who are trying to knock him off, I don't want any of them to do it before Kirby Smart gets a chance to do it. I didn't like it when Ed Orgeron beat Alabama a couple of years ago. I haven't liked it when Dabo Sweeney's done that. Alabama's been the big brand, the bull of the woods here in uh, college football. And the team that I want to see topple them take and take Alabama down eventually is Georgia. I want to see Kirby Smart be the first former Saban assistant who's able to say he got to win against his old boss. And if Kiffin were to play him even close on Saturday, let's say that Ole Miss doesn't win because that's a pretty big that'd be a pretty big step to make. But if Kiffin even plays them close on Saturday, all of a sudden that's a level of cachet for that Ole Miss program for Kiffin in particular that he could keep with him staying in Oxford or take with him to some other job at some other point in time. Uh, so I think if you're a Georgia fan, I think you're watching this game pretty closely on Saturday. How good does Alabama look as a potential? precursor to an SEC championship matchup or is some of what Lane Kiffin is trying to do against Alabama does that work for a second consecutive year if that's the case then I would say the blueprint's fairly well established what it's going to take to kind of you know have a chance of beating Alabama if Georgia finds himself in that spot come December of course for uh Matt Corral who has a chance to take that Johnny Manziel step towards you know, maybe being a Heisman, you know, contender or something like that. That is all on the line there on Saturday. It's going to be a great, great weekend of football. Headlined by Georgia, Arkansas, with Ole Miss, Alabama, there shortly behind. By the way, speaking of a great weekend of football, when you think about that, you're also thinking about delicious pizza there too, and that's what Marco's Pizza provides. Whether it's the, you know, golden brown crust that's always baked so perfectly with three melty and gooey cheeses on top, and those old-world toppings, the pepperoni, the sausage, and everything else. I like a lot of meat on my pizza. I don't mind telling you that. I need the protein. So I, I love that with uh, Marco's Pizza. I also love the great savings there as well, including the bundle. Think about this. You get a large one-topping pizza. You get the pizza bowl, which is essentially the pizza flavor without the crust. That's an awesome invention. You get the cheesy bread if you want your carbs on the side. Uh, all of that, just $21.99 for uh, a great, great bundle of uh, delicious food. The cheesy bread, the pizza bowl, the large one-topping pizza, just great stuff all the way around. You can find out more at the Marco's app or online at marcos.com. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. Our producer, Michael Carvel, says he loves the uh, all-meat pizza, and I, yeah, I'm going to enjoy as much of that as I possibly can. Uh, really, really good stuff. Of course, participation does vary on these special savings, so check the uh, Marco's location close to you to find out more. Marco's at Marco's.com for more on that. All right, as we get ready to say goodbye to you today, an important piece of information to give you, which a lot of you are already well aware of, and we'll do this, we kind of roll into our Gator Hater Roll Call and our Golden Shoe our buddy, one of our great commenters, Arnold Santiago, uh, sharing with this with me on Twitter. And I think this is very, very appropriate to be letting you know about. Tonight, the Braves play the Philadelphia Phillies once again with a magic number of just one. The Braves can win the National League East again here this evening. But as Arnold reminds us on Twitter, it's also UGA Day at Truist Park. Now, this is not an ad read, but we did do some ads for this over the course of the last few weeks. You may remember, you know, this is the night where you get like the the – co-branded Braves Georgia hat and a lot of dog fans are already planning on being in the game anyway so how about those dog fans get a chance to hopefully see the Braves clinch the National League East tonight we are Braves fans here and then see the dogs beat up on Arkansas on Saturday that is great stuff and a great reminder by Arnold Santiago will make you our golden shoe winner for today 
Speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, 30 days from right now, dogs get some revenge against Florida. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you tomorrow here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown, where you always take your comments at Dog Nation Daily on Twitter or in the comments section at dognation.com. Love this chance to interact with you. I want to read a comment here from J.C. Dogs about what he sees from Georgia right now, which is kind of an interesting thing to look at going into the game on Saturday against Arkansas. He says, the dogs need to improve the running game. The offensive line seems to underperform given the talent. The running backs are not really showing the physicality that I'd like to see as the opposing defenses get tougher. This is really the only weakness in this team I see, but it will rear its ugly head when we eventually face the monsters from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. If Alabama is not our friend, and believe me, they are not, the running game must improve. First of all, I think it's really interesting. I don't know if you all have noticed this before. For those of you who've interacted in the comment section kind of powered by our um, forum, all the different words that are uh, 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 censored on the forum, including ugly, like ugly shows up as just four asterisks. You know, that, that, that word got censored out. I think it's all the I think, I think it's very funny, all the words that get censored out. I mean, beyond the obvious ones of the Dog Nation Forum. But the point is, right now, the Georgia running game, the Georgia offensive line being subpar. And I would say through four games, it's completely accurate. This is what I've also said, though, that I believe that if you check back in in a month, let's say post-Florida, by that point in time, my certainly my hope is, but also my guess is, is that Georgia has improved in that regard. And the reason why I believe that's true is because Right now, we're seeing Georgia show the potential in the passing game they have not had before. And as the passing game becomes more fully formed, all of a sudden, and we talked about this on the video side a moment ago, all of a sudden, it becomes much more difficult for opposing defenses to know how to stop Georgia. And eventually, the job of the offensive line, the job of the running backs, just get a little bit easier. And all of a sudden now, you've got defenses spread wide. You've got defenses that are forced to worry about what's happening over their head. And all of a sudden now, that's not quite as many bodies in that tackle box area uh, in front of where the ball is snapped to stop the run. And it's important to know that if you go back and look at 2019, this is still Sam Pittman era at Georgia. This is still, you know, Solomon Kinley as a starter at the guard position. This is Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas as your two offensive tackles. This was an elite top shelf offensive line from a talent standpoint as good as Georgia had had. And yet year over year from 2018 to 2019, Georgia's average yards per rush dropped by more than a full yard. And the offensive game plan for Georgia, I think, was suffering around all of that. And I think it was really the ineffectiveness of the total Georgia offense that actually hurt the Georgia rushing attack. In other words, I think some people, and this isn't, I'm not uh, Matt Luke's agent, this is not me defending Luke, but I think some people think that the timeline of Georgia kind of regressing a bit with its rushing attack completely coincides with the arrival of Matt Luke and everything was great prior to Sam Pittman's departure. The truth is, and I don't blame Pittman for this, but the actual regression of the Georgia rushing attack from where it had been in 2017-2018 began in 2019, and the ineffective game plan of James Coley, I believe, was the reason why. In other words, when Georgia's offensive game plan was so predictable, it became much easier to stop the run, even with a great running back like DeAndre Swift and terrific offensive linemen protecting in front of him. You could still put more bodies in front of the football than could be blocked, and Georgia could not punish people with the passing attack to convince them to defend Georgia any other way other than that in that particular season. Last year, some of that may have still lingered with, you know, uh, Dwan Mathis, Stetson Bennett early in the year, and 
you know, you saw some of that start to change. Maybe some once JT Daniels was the starting quarterback at the end of the season. That was still only four games with Daniels. And I think there's some reason to believe that teams continue to defend Georgia kind of the same way, even with Daniels at the helm last season, because they just weren't quite so sure that Georgia really was going to be all that effective throwing the football. Well, now you've got a little bit more sample size with Daniels. You see a little bit more of what this offense is capable of doing. All of a sudden now for a guy like Barry Odom, there is a bigger decision to make. Thus far, the the running game hasn't benefited from that yet, but I still think there's time for that to be the case. Is it going to be as good as it was in 2017 or 2018? No, probably not. It's not always you know, going to be as historically good as those Georgia rushing attacks were. But do I think it will be better than it is right now by the end of the season, by the time you get to November, for instance? I think there's a pretty good chance that might be the case. So here's what I would say to you, J.C. Dog, and to anybody else who's listening in right now and feels the same way that J.C. does, which I know a lot of you do. Let's put a pin in this discussion for a moment. Let's revisit in a month. And it could be that you're right. And if so, that's a pretty disappointing thing for a Georgia team that seems to have almost everything else going for it. And we'll certainly address that if that's the case. But would you do me a favor and at least for now leave open the possibility in your mind that the more that Georgia shows itself capable of throwing the ball, the more defenses are put into a really true conflict. And all of a sudden now, the job of Zamir White, James Cook, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, the running backs that are getting the majority of the carries, all of a sudden their job gets a little bit easier because of all this and their numbers go up due to all of that. Let's watch that and let's see how it plays out. That is our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down, brought to you by our friends at R.S. Andrews. Find them online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. Make sure you check them out today. We'll also see you back here again tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.